The Near Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapperton. Hello, and thanks for downloading The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. In this episode, we're going to look at how the Internet of Things and our ability to all but teleport ourselves into an inanimate object is going to change the way we work. But first, as usual, a little bit about who you're listening to. I'm Guy Clapperton, a technology journalist with 30 years' experience. You might have heard me or seen me on the BBC occasionally, read some of my books, or seen me in The Guardian, Medium, and elsewhere. I go to a lot of conferences and hear experts talking about their forecasts about the decades to come. I'd rather use my 30 years' experience as a commentator to discuss what's likely to happen later this year, early next, and the action we need to take now, so I came up with a near futurist name. Do have a look at my website at nearfuturist.co.uk where you'll find more episodes and information on what we're about. If you'd like to book me as a speaker or MC for your technology event, do have a look at the showreel on site and drop me a line. Guy at nearfuturist.co.uk will get me. That's nearfuturist as one word. Or get in touch with my agent, whose details are, of course, on the site. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please do consider leaving a review on the iTunes store or wherever you download from. And if you're new to the show, you're very welcome. But that's more than enough about me. My guest today has an MA in computer science from King's College, Cambridge. His list of previous employers includes Microsoft. He's grown test and development teams for several startups before joining Real VNC in 2007 to create and head up a test team as test manager. As engineering manager, he oversaw the successful product development and delivery of the company's first SaaS offering, that's software as a service, SaaS, VNC Connect. Now Chief Technology Officer, he's responsible for product development and setting strategic technology directions. His deep level of technical understanding, insatiable curiosity, and business awareness make him uniquely qualified to deliver the next generation of high-quality and innovative real VNC software. His name is Andy Clark. Andy, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, well, first of all, I lifted a lot of my intro from your colleagues. You couldn't tell, of course, I'm sure, <laughs> uh, but an awful lot from your colleagues' notes. But this idea of teleporting into objects interests me. That was their phrase rather than mine. Can you tell me exactly what that's about? Sure, I, I can do my best. Teleporting into objects is probably a, a new term for a, a technology that's been around for almost 20 years since it, it came out of some computer labs here in Cambridge when we first started playing with it. It's about being able to remotely control and remotely access the technology that now is everywhere in our homes and our businesses and our sort of public places. But in the original days was about being able to control computers with keyboards and screens and mice and being able to remote in and act as if you were in front of that computer, even if you were in a different room or different office or different country or different continent. But where... Go ahead. I was going to say that that's something we all do really with cloud computing. Immediately, immediately I'm on Spotify or something. I'm actually in front of Spotify's database of music, but I think I'm on my phone or in my, uh, in my computer. Uh, is it really as simple as that? The, the cloud computing way is a different way of achieving the, the same effect. That gives you access to data that sits out in the cloud that you can access from a number of different ways. But a lot of applications, especially in modern business environments, haven't become cloud aware, they haven't progressed into that area, they're still in a data center somewhere, a server room somewhere, or on a desk somewhere. And if you need to get access to those things and you're out of the office, you've got your mobile in front of you, you've got your web browser in front of you, you've got something else in front of you, and you need to get back to that desktop, then that's where our software has, uh, has been successful and has helped a lot of people out. 
So it's sort of virtualization, except that it's with a, a system that's permanently there rather than machines you can fire up or fire down. Am I close? Is, yeah, uh, that's, that's a, a good way of thinking about it. Okay, that's fine. Um, and of course, you've now extended this, or it is becoming extended by the Internet of Things. Could you elaborate on that a little? The Internet of Things is a really interesting ecosystem, mostly because nobody knows what it is yet. Everybody has their own idea of what's meant by Internet of Things. For some people, it's the smart thermostat in their home that makes sure that everything is warm before they get in. For others, it's a factory floor that has internet-enabled computers and production lines which allow managers to keep track on production and do preventative maintenance. And for others still, it's things like ATMs or ticketing machines or other internet-enabled devices that allow vendors to push out security updates and to keep everything running smoothly without having to to send an engineer out and spend time behind a windshield. So it's a lot of things to a lot of people. And the common theme amongst all of that is trying to have somebody be where they're not. If you want to adjust your thermostat, well, then you can use your cloud service to do so. But if something goes wrong, well, when you're phoning up Pi or Nest or any other brands, the great brands that are out there, there's no substitute for being in front of the thing and trying to figure out what's going on. There's no substitute for being in front of that factory floor and, and looking at what lights there are. And there's no substitute for you know, being behind that ATM and trying to figure out what the codes are. Except there is a substitute, and we aim to be that substitute. So instead of just operating a system or an instrument remotely, I sort of become the instrument. I, I have it effectively in front of me. Are there any use cases in which, you know, solid use cases you can give me where this becomes genuinely useful? Yeah, I think probably the best use case is in something like uh, set-top boxes in uh, you know, large cable TV markets, for example. Cable TV operators have a lot of problems with customers phoning up saying, yeah, my cable isn't working, I can't get my pay-per-view movie, I can't get access. And you know, they'll go through a, a customer service script, which will get them so far. But at some point, they have to arrange an interview. Uh, an interview. You have to arrange a time where the engineer can come out and take a look, and only to, to press the one button that unlocks the thing. That if if they've been able to see what was on the screen, if they've been able to act as if they were in front of that device, if they were able to put themselves in that customer's shoes, then. They could have saved themselves a lot of money. They could save the customer a lot of hassle and, and, and frustration waiting for an engineer that, let's be honest, may or may not show up. And uh, you know, everyone can, can save. And the box is internet connected. Uh, if you want to get that streaming service, it's, it's there, it's connected. Why shouldn't you be able to act as if you're in front of it and see what the customer is seeing and, and act on their behalf? Now, that's interesting because when I've had instances where I've had trouble with my computer and I'm trying to install some software or something, when I go online and get help, whether it's from Adobe, from Microsoft, whoever else's uh, software appears to be defeating my computer on that particular occasion, mm -hmm. the first thing the online people say, or not the first perhaps, but eventually they get to, do you mind if we take over your system remotely so yeah. we can have a look and see what's going on? I'm actually surprised to hear that uh, that's not already been possible for some time with, as you say, other internet-connected uh, devices such as set-top boxes. It depends on the industry involved. The IT industry, the computer software industry, it's a native thing for them. It, it's something that the people developing and working on those pieces of software are used to. It's part and parcel. It's, it's something that you know we decided to come up with about 20 years ago. It's, it's been had plenty of time to bed in. 
what companies are only realizing the benefit of now is that now that more and more things are network connected and you know we're only seeing things like set up box become more generally addressably network connected in the last sort of five years or so that there is an opportunity uh, for savings and there's an opportunity to do more and I, I think we'll see more of that as well as things like 5g make things even more connected or even cheaper to be connected devices Yes, of course, that's the next uh, generation of remote access from your mobile phone or whichever device has a SIM in it, of course. That's that's obviously coming. Or if you believe the President of the United States, he's probably working on 6G or 7G now. He got a lot of flag for that, I notice. Well, I've, I've, been, I've been talking with him in, in great deal. And I thought you might, real, yeah. Re- real great plan. Yeah, uh, although I must say that, uh, you know, it doesn't take a great detector or a great brain to work out that if there's been a 3G or 4G, there's coming a 5G, 5G. There will probably be a 6G at some point. I think he's... I'm no supporter, but I think he got a lot of unnecessary flag for that comment. Uh, So what are the other uh, applications? Well, I heard about your uh, colleagues pitching to me that uh, this uh, was all about taking over objects and teleporting into objects. I was thinking about things like uh, sensitive surgery and that sort of stuff. Am I way off piece there? I think if we look at something like sensitive surgery, there are definitely medical devices that would benefit from from this technology and are starting to benefit from this technology. But here we're thinking more about devices in, say, the developing world where connectivity is patchy but there. But you know, getting the expert out to look at the maybe the results of a diagnostic scanner or a machine that's been you know sent out somewhere remote, but actually getting the expert to go to all these different villages, all these different places and interpret the results is not as practical as enabling these um, these devices for access. When that expert can stay in one place, they can review two, three, four, five different reports at once and they can help more people. Yes, I was talking a few years ago to a doctor in India who uh, had used uh, just straightforward video conferencing for remote diagnoses of patients. He was saying with a decent enough screen, you could actually uh, do everything except touch the patient. Of course, you did sometimes need to feel what was going on, but you could do an awful lot of remote uh, diagnoses. This, I I take it, that's pushing this forward to quite a large extent. Yeah, it opens up an interesting new avenue as well, because you have to be careful that you don't remove the human part of that contact. Absolutely. Uh, there was a recent case where, uh, unfortunately, someone was given terribly bad news uh, by a video automated doctor, which if you just think about the technology all the time, you're going to miss the, the whole solution. And one of the things that I try and do is not just ask, could we, but should we? Yes. How can we actually help? I think that's a very important element that it's, it's, it's easy to get carried away with it if you're in a lab working on this stuff. And uh, as you say, just because we can doesn't mean it's a great idea every time. Which touches on my next question, really. Again, getting back to the background briefing I had on this. One of your stated aims, one of your company's stated aims, I should say, Real VNC's stated aims, is to stop people working in silos. Now, I get what you told me so far about the Internet of Things and how it relates to all these other, uh, you know, the stuff that might be around your house, remote working. How does it actually stop people working in silos, though? Because you're still going to have that human internal political thing of, you know, this is my territory, I work on this bit. What, what role do you see yourselves playing in that? I, I think you're right. People will continue to be people. It's not a term that is my favorite term in the world because it assumes that you can put an end to people being people, which as we've just discussed is not something that, that we should really consider. I think where, where we, we help is we make data more available. We make it 
easier to share. We make it easier to be a good corporate citizen inside and outside of your company. We, we reduce the barriers that have traditionally been there in terms of uh, accessing you know, one team's realm from another. We haven't quite got down the brain control thing yet. That's coming in. A, that's, that's a far futurist thing rather than a near futurist thing. Yes, but, indeed. Uh, yeah. Not in my lifetime, I hope that's fine. <laughs> uh, so the fact that I've been writing this, the uh, this will put an end to Silo's story for 30 years. I can probably be flogging it for another 10 or so without well, having... I, I, I would article. say so. so. So long as the silos change, so yeah. long as we can try and break down the silos we know about, and look forward to hearing which new ones are going to get. That's fine. I, I can still earn a living doing a search and replace. That's absolutely <laughs> fine. That, that's fine. But let's get on to the, what I regard as the real nitty gritty. We did touch on it. We've been a bit uh, flippant about that just now. But what does this do to people skills and the need for different people skills? If you've got that engineer who doesn't need to go out every time, you may end up needing fewer engineers, or they may need different people skills, perhaps, uh, when they're back in the office, uh, or they may need fewer customer-facing skills. What, what does this technology do to the people skills and the need for different ones? I, th- I think customer-facing skills is, is the one I'd focus on there, because I'd argue that you know, no matter what sort of developments you, you choose to believe about the, the future of chatbots or, or so on, there is always going to be needs for a customer-facing empathy in customer support environments. I think you know, what this technology does is it gives people more time to engage with customers as people rather than just numbers or figures or quotas that need to be met off before you get back onto the van to get back to the next day's work. And you can spend the, the required amount of time with people to, you know, if you're doing it from a purely business point of view, you can you know, increase their customer satisfaction and make sure that they are more likely to be retained as a, as a customer. If you're doing it from a human point of view, you can just make sure they're happy. And I think from that point of view, you know, the, the workplace is going to value skills of the people who aren't stuck behind a machine, but know how to interact with people, know how to put a smile on someone's face and, and to, to solve their problem first time. Yes, I think an awful, awful lot of the time it's a matter of the way information is put to people. I was uh, uh, chatting to somebody today who'd done something as simple as asked for uh, which platform a train was on. And the person at the station said it's platform four. And he said, are you sure? It's pl- says platform two up there. And they just said, it's platform four. And they said, oh, well, check if you want. They went back. Then they came, came back out of the office and said, no, it's platform two. They've changed everything. All they had to do is say, no, I'm sorry, you're right. It's platform two. Just a little apology. And it's, it's that, you know, leaving the person happy, even when you've uh, perhaps made a mistake. Uh, that I think is very important. So, you know, in order to get these skills, uh, are we talking mass retraining or should, should, is this just a matter of being trained properly in the first place? Do, you, do, we, do people need new skills to accommodate this, uh, this new world? That's a good question. I think mass retraining sounds scary to me. Again, it sounds like that far future brain trip uh, chip that, uh, that I worry about. Uh, I think that there's nothing so much as a, it won't be a, a step change. It won't be a, you know, next week we all need to be better at talking to people and, and empathizing. But I think we will see those skills prioritized by, by businesses that we prioritize by consumers who, you know, look for that and prioritize that sort of empathy in the interactions they have with you know, people that provide their, their thermostats or their robots or whatever it is that's, or their surgeons. In, in the same way as a surgeon with a good bedside manner is more highly regarded as a surgeon who comes in and sees you as a slab of meat. I think the the marketplace and the training will crop up to 
better serve that need. I think it will be customer demand driven. So uh, there may be no mass retraining with or without chips. I was thinking of without chips, by the way. Okay. Uh, perhaps no mass retraining, but if you want to do well in a career in the future, you might want to look at, look to those people skills as a, uh, something to work on. Exactly. Uh, anyway, if they're lacking, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So you're, uh, we're talking about this uh, technology having effect on the people stuff over a longer term, you think? Yeah, I, I think so. If, if I do my job well, then things should be happier. There's a strange sort of Silicon Valley mindset which sets out to solve all the problems that people in Silicon Valley have. And I'm sure they are problems for the people that have them, but they're not the big problems. They're not the shared problems. And I I think uh, if we can lose ourselves in whatever strange train of thought we've just gone into and i've completely forgotten the question i'm sorry i went off on a strange train there that's perfectly okay it was interesting so i was letting you carry on but sadly you've interrupted yourself that's supposed to be my job i'm I'm the vicious vicious hack around here um, uh, we're talking about evolution rather than revolution i suppose is the sort of uh, cliche i was trying to avoid Um, do people need to prepare for this um, at all i mean what what do they need to do to be ready for uh, this internet uh, things sensitive world I think probably the thing that people need to educate themselves on most in terms of an internet of things connected world is security and and data hygiene. It's a topical thing at the moment with social media companies scrambling to try and reassure their their users and the public that they are uh, security aware. And it's one of the, the things that still still hasn't been cracked in the IoT ecosystem is having a good security story where devices can be kept up to date and online and aren't providing a a window into your home that's unlocked that you didn't realize was unlocked. Hmm. Software such as ours can help by allowing you to connect in and update things remotely. And I think we'll see more of that coming in as, as businesses want to put this stuff into their IoT devices because it allows them to do updates, because it allows them to, to measure their effectiveness. But in terms of you know, being a savvy consumer or a savvy selector of, of services, then being able to ask questions about the security and quality of, of what you're getting, I think is, is going to be important. That makes a lot of sense. And I suppose also, because we all sit in front of computers that people can take over, as we've just discussed, benevolently, people like technical support people Mm -hmm. uh, to help out with it. It's uh, it's easy to forget sometimes that this can't be done with just any other device. I spent uh, a major part of the weekend having a great big verbal punch up with my internet provider, uh, precisely Mm -hmm. because they wouldn't believe what I was seeing on my screen or what uh, I was, uh, uh, you know, what was straight in front of me. there, There was no way they could get to see it. So perhaps we forget that this is actually quite different uh, outside of the world of computing. I think it's easy to forget like that, that you know, not every industry has grown up with this technology or is aware of it. But I think the other thing that it's easy to forget is for people in the IT industry to remember that not everybody uses computers or connected devices day in, day out. Uh, not everybody has a phone. Not everybody can pay with an app. Not everybody can yeah, manage their bank accounts online with an app. There's, there's a lot of generational differences, I think, between what people expect. And again, I, I fear the industry sometimes goes a little too far and too fast down the, oh, yeah, but everybody surely has a smartphone with the latest screen and, and so on. So we'll just put it on the smartphone. 
Yes, that's one of the things that gets to me. You get the everybody's got this attitude and you think, no, everybody hasn't actually spent a thousand pounds or something on a phone, which is what a top end smartphone is going to cost you. Exactly. And that's assuming you don't want a foldable one, which is the new thing now, apparently. Yes, indeed. It's going to cost me a fortune. One day I'm going to make this podcast pay and uh, <laughs> we'll see if I can get one, but uh, that, that may be a luxury too far. Okay, well, uh, thanks very much indeed for that, Andy. We could go on for some time. I suspect we should probably draw to a close. Could you uh, tell me finally, where can listeners find out more about Real VNC and your business? Sure thing. Uh, the best way to find us is to type Real VNC into any search engine or social media or any place where you've got connectivity and our great marketing team will have be assured that me that something will come up. Oh, he's got a little compliment for his marketing team in there as well. You've been well trained, sir. That's great. Andy Clark from Real VNC, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. I'll be back in two weeks' time as always. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk and maybe leave a review somewhere. See you in a fortnight. Music